Thank you so much for joining me today on Just Praise Him Radio. I'm your host, Linda Lomax, and my job is to inspire you to a closer walk with Christ. Now here's the show. Hello, believers. Welcome to the Just Praise Him radio program. I'm your host, Glenda Lomax, and the title of my message today is Comfort and Joy. I want to talk to you today about things that we get comfort from in this season of joy. We're human. We all like to be comforted, right? When we are miserable or just having a bad day, it's human nature to turn to whatever is available to grab some comfort. But turning to anything aside from the Lord for comfort is idolatry in His eyes. And I want to explain to you how to receive comfort from Him in this podcast. What? No way you could be in idolatry? Let's be sure. You might be right or you might be wrong. Idols are very sneaky things. They move in quietly. At first, they're just taking up a little bit of your time and attention and money so your guard don't go up. And then, bam, suddenly they're there hogging it all up. So let's look at some of the things that commonly become idols so you can evaluate because the Lord really wants us to talk about this. We all know pretty much what's coming down the pike, right? In the time when the judgments are falling or even when the warning shot is falling, Y'all, we're going to want comfort, and we're going to need comfort really bad. It's important that we know where to get that correctly from Him instead of grabbing something in the world to get it, because that's never going to work out well, is it? I encourage you to evaluate these things honestly, because it is you who will pay the price if you do not root idolatry out of your life. And I just want to mention, this is a sermon that I preached last night at my church, well, this is very late Thursday night. I preached it last night for Wednesday night service. The pastor very kindly asked me if I would preach Wednesday, and I got to preach for the first time there. So I was very happy to do that and to be a help to him. So you're getting to hear it too. Okay, so just what is idolatry? Well, I'm glad you asked. Dictionary.com defines idolatry as the religious worship of idols or excessive or blind adoration, reverence, or devotion. The Lord also defines it as anything we turn to for comfort outside of Him. You know, when you're unhappy in your job or miserable in your marriage, you can be tempted with many comforts which are not the right path for a Christian. And even if you're single, okay? And some of them can look really good, right? This is dangerous territory for us, and I'm going to explain why. Back to examples of idolatry in general. Many people worship their children, their grown children, their grandchildren, a romantic partner, spouse, ministry, career, a dream, a sports team, a fantasy, or a host of other things. There are actually people who worship crawling creatures. A museum in Egypt has a monument to the scarab beetle. The Philistines actually worshipped flies. Today there are 330 million gods of the Hindus 
or about eight gods for every person. In Thailand, there are 20,000 Buddhist temples. In one, there is a two-inch tooth supposedly saved from Buddha's funeral. In China, a Buddha statue actually fell on a man and the family sued all the Buddhas in the temple and that statue was found guilty and it and 14 other statues were actually beheaded. I can't make this stuff up, y'all. Idolatry is all around us. I have found myself in idolatry more times than I would care to admit over my 25 years in this walk. I am not proud of that. But I have learned that one of the signs of idolatry is heaviness. You will find that whenever you are idolizing someone or something, that although God carries us and our burdens, when you get into idolatry, you will carry your idols by yourself because you're not supposed to have any. And idols are very heavy things. Are you in a relationship that feels like a heavy weight on you? Idolatry is a burden the Lord will not help you carry since you are not supposed to have any idolatry. And you know, the longer you have to carry anything, the heavier it becomes. So how many of you know we are living in the end of the end times? And that America is under God's judgment? I was doing housework work one day back in May, I think it was, and the Lord told me something about idolatry. And I said, Lord, I just recorded a podcast on idolatry. Why are we talking about idolatry again? But he did not answer me. What he had said to me was, idolatry is anything people run to for comfort besides me. And I immediately thought of the chocolate ice cream in my freezer. So I continue mopping my floor, you know, and I'm kind of thinking about what he said. And I was thinking, why is he? And then it hit me, why? The reason the Lord wants everyone to understand this is because the judgments are about to start. And when the judgments begin in earnest, and you will know when that happens, everyone left on earth will be desperately seeking any kind of comfort they can find, y'all. In those times, most people will be willing to do anything for even the smallest comfort because most or all of our comforts will be stripped away so that the Lord can get the attention of all those who are perishing. In biblical times, some people were idol makers by trade. They fashioned little gods and big gods out of metal or stone or wood or whatever. These idols were called household gods and were considered great treasures and were passed down from generation to generation. These idol makers could make God look and be however they wanted. They made him conform to their image, an image convenient for their lives. They would make up a God that would fit in with their sin, just like people do today. How many times have you seen somebody get saved And then they try to fit God into their life by adjusting God in his word instead of adjusting their sin. And when he won't fit because he will not play second, they decide that, well, God just doesn't work for them. No, he don't. God don't work for anybody. He's God. And God is not an ATM of answers to your prayers that you install on a shelf in your living room and then forget until you need something. He is God and he will be God. He will not play second fiddle to any of your worldly pursuits or any of your idols. I'm just saying.
Augustine said, idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that ought to be worshiped. Idolatry can be an almost obsessive love for another person, not just a romantic partner, but a grandchild, a beloved child, or a revered family member. It can be any sin that you keep returning to, drugs, sex, alcohol, or any other kind of sin. All sin is idolatrous at its root. It's preferring to do something wrong over doing things God's way. Idolatry is not just something bad. It's too much of something that's good. It's being out of balance. If you're out of balance somewhere, that's a place to check for idols. Idolatry can be too much focus in that one area or on that one thing. Or to the exclusion of what we are really supposed to be focusing on, which is Jesus. So, what does idolatry look like? Have you ever known a person who was always extolling the virtues of like their spouse or their romantic partner or their child or their favorite grandchild ad nauseum? I mean, they just went on and on and on and on and you're standing there thinking they cannot really be that good. Anytime someone talks on and on and on about one person, you're usually looking at idol worship and most of the time they don't even realize it. Dictionary.com defines idol as, among other things, any person or thing regarded with blind admiration, adoration, or devotion, but also says a figment of the mind, fantasy. Here is something I want you to understand about idolatry. This is particularly true about romantic relationships, but it can apply to any relationship. Idolatry often happens when we imagine a person as better than they are. When we have a fantasy about a certain kind of spouse or a gifted child or grandchild. So we imagine that they have those qualities that we really want them to have. When in truth, they may be really good, but we see them as almost superhuman in our minds. This is getting dangerously close to idolatry because when we have romanticized someone, we can end up married to or enslaved to our idols. And if there is anything that will turn your idols back into ordinary humans, it is marriage. And all the married people said, Amen. And let's keep in mind that what you are focused on is a very good indicator of where you are looking for happiness and fulfillment. It is where you get your joy, your comfort and your joy. The easiest way to spot idolatry in your own life is to look for anything you're willing to compromise your walk for. That is the dead giveaway right there. If you walked a pure and holy walk, but all of a sudden, let's say you meet someone and you start dating them and you're getting into sexual sin with them, you compromised your walk, that's an idol. And when I say that's an idol, it could be the person, it could be the pleasure. Wherever you spend most of your time, energy, and money is a good indicator of what you are focused on and a good place to look for idols. That is the area where you will most likely find those little idols lurking in your heart. As humans, we were created to worship, so we have a need to worship something. And if we do not have a correct relationship with God, we will simply find something or someone else to worship. 
It's possible to make an idol out of just about anyone or anything. Many people idolize pleasure, success, beauty, their own faces, fame, or wealth. Today, in the age of the selfie, many around us idolize their own faces. They take pictures and they look at them. They take a lot of pictures of their face and they look at them and they admire them and they post them on social media. It's so easy to get over-involved with our image if it is pleasing. We try new looks and we snap selfies. We try another look and we snap some more. And if you get a lot of feedback a year later, all you're doing is posting your new looks on social media. What a waste of time. I guess when all the selfie posters show up at judgment, they can show Jesus their selfies, but I don't think you'll be impressed. We need to be careful what we give our days to, y'all. The Bible says, redeem the time, redeem the time. Many people idolize that perfect relationship or that happy marriage, that perfect spouse, the perfect house. In our minds, we're building castles full of fantasies long before we ever said hello to them. Anything that gets more of our affection and reverence than God does is out of balance and out of line. We are commanded to have no other gods before him. Relationships, children, grandchildren, a great career or a nice house are not bad in and of themselves, but all of that should be secondary to our relationship with the living God who died for us. If any of that is getting 20 hours a week and God is getting two, we got a problem, not including your job because you got to work to eat. In Genesis 31, we read the story of Jacob leaving Laban's employ. Laban had dishonestly changed Jacob's wages 10 times, and Jacob had just had enough of it. So he told Rachel and Leah, pack up the kids, we're heading out. And by the way, this is a side note, pretty soon I'm going to have Prophetess Cheryl Cook on the podcast to tell us how God taught her to hear him through the numbers. It is very, very helpful. I've been learning from her. And by the way, 10 is the number of testing. Anytime you see 10 over and over, look for the test because you're being tested. 10 times Jacob's wages were changed. 10 commandments, the 10 plagues in Egypt. 10 times God tested Israel in the wilderness. 10 virgins in Matthew 25. The number 10 always means some kind of test. So there's your first number lesson. Well, Rachel and Leah did pack up. In fact, Rachel packed extra well because she also packed up Laban's household gods. I always wondered, why did she do that? She was married to a man that worshipped the one true God. So why did she grab those little statue gods and take them along? Well, I found a study note that I think tells the answer to that. So let me read this note to you. It's the note in the, the third edition uh, King James Version study Bible to Genesis thirty-one nineteen. Many people kept small wooden or metal idols in their homes. These idols were called teraphim and they were thought to protect the home and offer advice in times of need. They had legal significance as well for when they were passed on to an heir, the person who received them could rightfully claim the greatest part of the family inheritance. Most likely, Rachel stole her father's idols because she was afraid Laban would consult them and learn where she and Jacob had gone. Or perhaps she wanted to claim the family inheritance. So people put real faith in those little wooden statues, y'all. 
Unlike the days of the Israelites, we don't have any little gods we carry around in a box. You won't box our God up, okay? You cannot put him away in a dark box so he won't see you sinning and, you know, you want him to give you something. He will be God, period. We serve a holy God, y'all. He sees every sin and he excuses none of them. Forgiveness comes through repenting, and repenting means to change direction. You know, a lot of people sin and then say, oh, sorry, God, after they sin, and they don't mean one word of it. True repentance means to change direction. It means you are so sorry that you hurt him that you stop doing the thing that you're sorry for. As humans, we tend to fall into daily routines, don't we? A routine anchors our days and gives us a sense of normalcy. I'm a person who likes routines. I like the security of a routine and knowing certain things will get done each day if I follow them. Every morning I have certain chores that I do. Every evening I have another set of chores I do. My routines make sure certain things are done like my dogs get their medications on time. The dogs have fresh water in clean bowls and all the drapes are drawn in each room and doors and windows are locked at night before bed. I don't spend an inordinate amount of time on these things. They are just routines that help me maintain my home and care for my pets properly. I have a friend in New Zealand who used to spend three hours a day at the gym bodybuilding. I have a relative who is an attractive female who spends a lot of her time outside of work working on her image, having her hair and nails done, buying new clothes, tanning, working out, and of course taking and posting selfies of it all, right? It's easy to spot idolatry in some of that, isn't it? What do you spend most of your time and energy on? We really need to look at this, y'all. A lot of younger people spend all their time improving their images. A lot of older people spend most of their time with their grandchildren. But if you really want to know where your treasure is, where your heart is, think about these questions. What or who do you spend most of your time thinking about? The one who gets most of your thoughts is a big giveaway. Who are you willing to do almost anything for? What do you spend the most time on outside of your job? Because we have to work to eat. The Bible says so. What receives the biggest part of your energy outside of your job? What do you spend most of your money on after your bills are paid? Whatever we personally spend the most time, focus, energy, and money on outside of our jobs tells us where our heart and our treasures are, and that's where you should look for idols. Adrian Rogers said, an idol is anything you love more, fear more, value more, or serve more than you do Almighty God. Of course, we say, well, I don't love anything more than Him. Really? If that is really true, then there is not a single sin in your life because every time we sin, we choose something else over him. And not one of us is without sin. Okay, moving right along. Where our treasures are, there will our hearts be. You know, it's so interesting to look at the order of scriptures in the word of God. It can reveal things you never saw before. The word is fascinating. It's so deep and rich and you can never uncover all its secrets. I think we'll still be studying it up in heaven. I hope so. You can never learn everything it has for you, even when you are in it every day, year after year after year. So I was looking at the Where Your Treasure Is group of scriptures. Always pay attention 
to what comes before and after the scriptures you are studying. Do any of y'all ever go and fast? You ever do fasting as a spiritual discipline? Before this group of scriptures, Jesus is talking about when you fast, not making a big show of it. You know, not going around telling everybody, I'm on a fast, I'm on a fast, to get the admiration of men for doing it. But look at what comes after these verses about where your treasure is. It's important to see this because where our treasures are is where we'll find our idols hiding. And by the way, sometimes people won't fast because they idolize food. So I'm just going to put that out there. Y'all can have that one for free. I've met people who were called to kingdom work who feared their spouses more than God and so would not answer the call to preach. One man I met fears the opinions of his Native American people more than he fears God, though he has known for years he is called to preach. Those are just more examples of idolatry. Did you know that's the reason a lot of people don't tithe or give to their church or the work of the kingdom? Because they're clinging to their treasure. Their treasure is their money. But the word of God says rich men will cast their silver and their gold away when the judgments come. And that's because they're going to realize that cannot save them. Your money and your wealth cannot save you when God's judgments fall. Nothing can save you but Jesus. That's not going to be a pretty time, y'all. And just for the record, a tithe is a tenth. Ten is the number of the test. Every time you receive increase, you are being tested. Every time you do not tithe, you fail the test. So I'm just saying. Okay, moving right along because I know y'all do not want to talk about tithing, do you? Let me read you these verses, starting in Matthew 6, verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. I'm sorry, y'all, my voice is given because it's after midnight. I had thought I would have this done earlier today, but I had company show up. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth cover up and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body should be full of light. And by the way, that word single in verse 22 means whole and not confused. So verse 22, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be whole and not confused, thy whole body shall be full of light. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I love the meanings behind the words. One of the things idolatry does is idolatry always brings confusion. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on, is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So after the where your treasure is verses come the scriptures about only being able to serve one master. So you cannot serve God and those little wooden idols too. And the verses about not worrying, why take ye thought for raiment? If God so clothe the grass of the field, shall he not much more clothe you, O you little, of little faith? He is saying, be careful what you treasure or you will get into worldly worries and lose your faith in me. See how interesting the Bible is? These verses are a word for all of us. Be careful what you treasure too much or you will get into worldly worries and lose your faith in me and I'm the one who clothes the grass of the field. He is where our treasure should be. He is where our heart should be. Okay, I want to look at Isaiah 41, 29. It's talking about idols and, and idol makers. Behold, they are all vanity. Their works are nothing. Their molten images are wind and confusion. The molten images are the idols. That word wind in Isaiah 41, 29, wind and confusion means just air. It also means a discontented spirit. And that is exactly what idolatry will give you to a discontented spirit. Because there is not one thing in this world available to us that can fulfill your spirit except the spirit of the living God. Can I just tell you that? I don't care how great of a selfie you take, you will still feel empty. I don't care how much you enjoy that affair you're having, you will still feel empty. Ditto that pornography, that's even emptier. Nothing will fulfill you if you don't have God's spirit in you. Please hear me, I am trying to help you. Those little dead statue gods in your life have nothing to give you but some extra weight to add to your burdens. I want you to think about this. The Lord is telling us idols are just vanity. That word vanity means wickedness, affliction, and sorrow. We don't want any of that. So he is saying idols are just wickedness, affliction, sorrow, and wind and confusion. Do y'all want any of that? I don't. What does the wind do? Ask any woman who styles her hair. It messes everything up. When you least expect it, a wind comes out of nowhere and messes everything up. Idols will do the same thing to your life. They will bring unexpected destruction. Ask anybody who was ever caught having an affair who ended up in divorce court. I am telling you the truth. I used to work for divorce lawyers. The scariest thing of all to me is how God responds to idolatry in our lives if we don't repent and get out of it. If we give something or someone else credit for delivering us, you don't ever want to do that. If we look to someone or something else to deliver us out of trouble, if we turn to anything or anyone for comfort instead of him, he closes our eyes where we cannot see. That is what you are seeing anytime you see someone who is in a relationship that's just wrong, for lack of a better word. And everybody around them can see it and they cannot see it. It's because he's closed their eyes. And everybody tries to tell them and they won't listen. It's because he's closed their eyes. They have tucked their idols away all safe and sound among their stuff. And now they are blind to them. Isaiah 44, 18 to me is one of the scariest scriptures in the Bible. It's right up there with the depart from me I knew you not so I'm going to read you Isaiah 44 17 and 18 17 and the residue thereof he maketh a god even his graven image he falleth down unto it and worships it and prays unto it and says deliver me for thou art my god 18 
They have not known nor understood, for he hath shut their eyes that they cannot see, and their hearts that they cannot understand. That word shut there means to plaster shut. Did you know when God plasters shut your eyes that you cannot open them again? You cannot come out of your blindness towards your idolatry. That only he can open them and he will only do that if you repent and turn away from them. I know people this has happened to and they are still blind. I knew someone many years ago who left off preaching who was extremely anointed. So anointed they had atheists listening to their channels. Nobody ever has that. And returned to a life of sin and they think they're okay. But the Lord literally told me to stop praying for that person one day years ago. That that person had chosen sin over him and there would be no more repentance poured out. What could be more scary than being left in your sin and being blind to it? Because that means you're going to die in your sin. Idolatry is anything or anyone you choose over God. Idolatry is the act of choosing it. The idol is what you're choosing or who. Anytime we choose to sin, and like my pastor said last Sunday, there are no small sins, they're just sin. Anytime you sin, you choose something or someone over God. You are in idolatry and you are running the risk he is going to shut your eyes. Anytime you persist in sinning and you refuse to lay that sin down, you are risking this. Your sin has become an idol. If it had not, why would you keep choosing it over God? I want you all to think about this. This is no time to be playing around in sin. You know this. We could get called home tonight. And any of us could get called home unexpectedly anyway. You could walk out the door tomorrow and be hit by a car. You know, how awesome is the God we serve? How merciful is he towards us? Does he not deserve our full devotion? Does he not deserve for us to cast away our idols? How quickly we can lose our grip on this world and be thrust into eternity, unable to return to make anything right. I almost got sent there in 2012. Those of you who have listened to me for a long time, you know. I woke up that morning to find out I'd had a hemorrhagic stroke in my sleep. Not fun. Not fun at all. And it came within one millimeter of killing me. Moving right along. If you get thrust into eternity tonight, you will not be able to come back and lay down that sin that you kept returning to day after day and night after night. What regret we would feel if that happened to us. I don't want to have that happen to anybody, y'all. We don't want to enter eternity with regret. We want to enter eternity with great joy and expectation of reward. So the question I want to ask you is, What are you still holding on to that you know the Lord has been leading you to lay down? What person have you not released that you know the Lord does not want you around? I know I'm speaking to somebody here because God is showing me that is a word for somebody. You know you're not supposed to be around that person. You know that. And you keep going back. What sin have you refused to lay down that you know the Lord wants you to give up? What if tonight you go to sleep and you are thrust into eternity? And I'll tell you, our idols can even be blessings. It was God himself who told Abraham to lay down the only son he had with Sarah on the altar. He did not take Isaac, but he could have. 
He was proving that Abraham's loyalty and adoration was to him, not to his son. Sometimes God will send people or things into our lives designed to test our level of commitment to him. I call this the test of the blessing. If you flunk the test of the blessing, you might have to make a detour into the wilderness to help you get straightened out on who the real God is in your life. Don't worry, though. God will help you out with that. And remember, too, when God is showing you or telling you he wants you to lay something or someone down, the faster you obey, the easier it is to do. Make no mistake, God can deliver you from any addiction. Just obey him. Whatever he is telling or leading you to do, it is for your own good. We don't want to disobey God or put him off. Because you know, the longer you put him off, the more excuses you will make and justify your sin or what you know he is leading you to lay down. You know, you'll think of all the reasons why you shouldn't have to do that. We live in a time when the Lord is refining his bride because we are all about to be called home. Anything you are unwilling or unable to lay down for him is one of those little statues, y'all. Remember, too, God will take care of Isaac, but you have to take care of Ishmael. You will bear the burden of carrying Ishmael through the desert. So will you say yes to him? Or will you say, oh, well, maybe tomorrow? You know, our world is filled with constant temptation of all kinds, not just idolatry. You cannot even turn on the television without having temptation thrust in your face. Everywhere you go, everything you engage in, everywhere you look, the temptation to sin is all around us. It is impossible for us to live perfect lives in these fleshly bodies. We know that. We serve a God who came and lived among us thousands of years ago. He knows it too. But he delights in redeeming and restoring that which was lost. The Lord hates idolatry, but he still loves the idolater. And he still loves us if we mess up and get into idolatry. Over the years, I have learned that idolatry will always cost you something precious that you can never get back. And that is a very painful lesson to learn. That's all I have for y'all tonight. I'm going to pray for you now. Lord God in heaven, I lift up every person under the sound of my voice on this podcast. And I pray, Lord, that you will reveal every idol in all of our lives and show us how to give them up. I pray that you will help us to see that you are enough. You are more than enough. Help us to keep our lives in balance, Lord. We're watching and praying for your soon return. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I told y'all that I was going to explain to you what I know about receiving comfort from the Lord. There was a time after I had the stroke in 2012. In early 2013, I moved to the townhouse in Princeton by myself. And that was a time of that was really terrifying to me because no person who has had a stroke should be left alone for about the first year. It is really scary because you can't keep your balance and all kind of stuff happens. But the Lord was with me. I had very steep stairs there 
And I remember one night in particular, there were other nights, but this one in particular, I climbed the stairs because my bedroom's upstairs. And when I got to the landing at the top, I started to sway backwards and something caught me and put me back upright. That could only have been God. And I turned around and sat down on the step because it shook me up so bad. And then I got up and went to bed. But that happened more than once. But that happened that night. So I still remember it so clearly. But there were other times when I started to lose my balance when I got to the top of the stairs. And I mean, y'all, God was just with me. And even if a person had been in the house with me, they couldn't have stopped that. So, But that was a time when I had a lot of fear because I wasn't sure if I would regain all my ability to do everything. And I was really, really scared of being disabled. And so I prayed constantly. And I remember this one day, I think it was in the afternoon, and I just became very afraid. And I was trying to fight the fear. And I thought, man, I, you know, I need some comfort from God. And so I went to my chair in the living room and I got my Bible. And it was a, a Bible I'd had for years. I had a lot of stuff highlighted in it. And I turned to Psalms because I, the, I find the Psalms very com- comforting. And I started to read out loud every verse I had highlighted, just one after another. 30 minutes later, I had gone through the entire book of Psalms. And I was completely peaceful. All the fear had gone. That, to me, is the best way to receive comfort from the Lord. Whatever book in the Bible calms you down, highlight all the passages you like, and if you start feeling anxious or afraid, sit down and start reading them out loud and see if you don't have the same reaction. It really did help me because I never understood how to receive comfort from God. I I just didn't know how to do it. And I don't know if there's other ways. If you have another way that you receive comfort from him, please leave a comment and share it with everyone else. Because we can share information like this and everybody benefits, right? Anyway, I just wanted to tell you all that. I promised you I would tell you. Jesus bless you. Thanks for listening. Y'all have a great weekend. Thank you so much for tuning in today to Just Praise Him Radio. You can contact me by mail at my new address, JPH Inc., Glenda Lomax, P.O. Box 60, Glencoe, Arkansas 72539, or by email at jphtoday at gmail.com. JPH is not affiliated with any nonprofit organization, church, or denomination. Have you ever gone through a time in your life where suddenly it just felt like your whole life was falling apart? I call these experiences the wilderness experiences. Wilderness experiences are a time of great uncertainty and change. Uh, there are times when our faith is tried and refined. After many experiences, the Lord spoke to me to write The Wilderness Companion, which is a virtual roadmap through the desert times of your life. Find out why you've been led to the wilderness. Find out what the biggest hindrance is to receiving provision in the wilderness. Find out what the seven temptations of the wilderness are. Drastically cut the time you spend in the wilderness by learning how to partner with the Lord instead of working against Him. Every Christian needs to read The Wilderness Companion. It's by Glenda Lomax, and it's available on Amazon.com or 
wingsofprophecy.com. Amazon.com, The Wilderness Companion by Glenda Lomax. Are there areas of sin in your life you just can't seem to overcome no matter how hard you try? Many people live their whole lives under curses. Without understanding, they can be free. Learn what the scriptures say about curses and why they are still relevant today. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Learn how to defeat every curse through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. If you have the knowledge, you can break curses off your life and start experiencing breakthroughs like never before. In the book Loosed from Chains of Darkness, you will learn the basics of four different types of curses. Loosed from Chains of Darkness is the most comprehensive curse-breaking book on the market today. Get your copy of Loosed from Chains of Darkness by Glenda Lomax, available on Amazon.com in print, Kindle, and audiobook versions. What is in store for the once great and mighty nation of America in these end times? What is the living God saying to the people of America now? What could possibly be in store for a nation that once trusted in God, but has changed its path from following in the living God's ways to now removing Him from everything and walking the other way? In the book, No Longer Mind, you will find all the messages to America collected in one place in chronological order. No Longer Mind, Messages to an Unrepentant Nation is now available in print at wingsofprophecy.com in the bookstore tab. Get your copy of No Longer Mind today. <laughs>